You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. All right, everyone, welcome back. It's Dyslexia Awareness Month, and we are so excited to continue our conversations here about all things related to dyslexia, literacy instruction, and the impacts on a child's social and emotional well-being. Um, today's episode is a fantastic one, not only for educators, but for families with our special guest, Cindy Hall from Cindy Hall Consulting. Um, but before we begin, we wanted to say how grateful we are for all of the feedback and reviews for the podcast. We really are very appreciative of those. And remember to subscribe um, so that you get the latest episodes and information from us. All right, I'm going to hand it off to Emily and we are going to get started here with Cindy. Well, we are so thrilled to have a very special guest with us today, Cindy Hall. Cindy is such a wonderful reminder to all of us mm -hmm. that dyslexia awareness doesn't just take place in October. Yes. It is year round, but we have a special focus in October to really, really showcase everything about dyslexia that we can share, the facts, the people that inspire us, the books. And so we're just so, so grateful to have Cindy with us, sharing with us. Uh, you may, if you've been at the Building Readers for Life virtual conference, recognize Cindy from 2022. She was one of the amazing presenters. We will see Cindy again. I'm so thrilled about that. I'm just going to read a little bit about Cindy before we introduce her to all of you and begin our interview. So Mrs. Cindy Hall is the principal of Cindy Hall Consulting and Mustard Seed Tutoring, an author of Dyslexia-Friendly Classroom Professional Development. It is her passion to help struggling students identify why they're struggling and an architect plan for success. Cindy is excited to work with individual students in a tutoring setting or to help teachers understand the characteristics of dyslexic students and best practices, which are vital for dyslexic learners, yet good for all students. Cindy was the founding director of the Dyslexia Center at Lindsay Lane Christian Academy, which she directed for a decade before retiring full-time school setting work. She has 17 years of classroom teaching experience with elementary students and another 17 years focused on teaching dyslexic learners. She's a graduate of Faith Baptist Bible College with postgraduate work in special education at Iowa State University, as well as many hours of training in the Orton-Gillingham approach 
for dyslexic learners. And we will definitely let Cindy share some of the wonderful things she's got going on at the very end. But her website, just to kick off, is cindyhallconsulting.com. And we will share that again at the very end and, of course, in the show notes. So, Cindy, thank you so much for coming on the Together in Literacy podcast with us today. And just love to uh, hear a little bit from you. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate the invitation. (laughs) Well, Cindy, you have such a wealth of knowledge and background. I would really love for you just to tell us a little bit about how you got started moving from the classroom instructor to one who specializes in working with students with dyslexia. Well, we have three sons. And our three sons are spaced within four years. So in four years time, we had three sons, which was great when they were little. But you know, when they all grew up and it was time for them to go to college, it was going to cost a bundle. And so we were looking for ways to help pay for our sons to go to college. I had always done reading tutoring on the side. I really enjoyed reading tutoring. I was in a school that used to phonics as the basis. So I understood how to use phonics to help kids learn how to read. And I heard about dyslexia through an article in my hometown newspaper about a school that had opened up in Huntsville, Alabama, my hometown that was for dyslexic students, found out about dyslexia. That was the first I had ever heard of it. Yeah. And this was probably 2004. Mm -hmm. I had never heard of it before then. And so I was intrigued, made an appointment to go and observe a tutoring lesson, and I came away from that observation knowing I thought I could learn how to do this. I thought I would like this, and also that this could be the way to pay for our boys' college, and so it seemed like a great solution, and that's what got me started was just the need to pay for our own son's college expenses. (laughs) Yes, thank you for sharing, And, and you know, I think at least for myself, when I went in and saw the Orton-Gillingham approach live and in place, it just, I was like you, I had a lot of phonics background and I I understood all those pieces. And like you, I was not well-versed in dyslexia, even though, you know, Emily and I've talked about our journey before, even though, you know, we have been in education for a long time, much like yourself, it really wasn't a word that was used or really even understood or talked about in, in the education world. And so when I saw the Orton Gillingham approach put into place, it just really lit a fire under me and wanting to learn more. And, and so it sounds like that was the same for you. So what an exciting journey. It was amazing to just see all the pieces put together in that tutoring lesson. Yeah. And I loved how organized it was and how it packaged up all the elements And also how engaged the child and the tutor were with each other, even though I, as a stranger, was sitting in the room. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Just such a wonderful reminder of how much we can cover within one or Gillingham lesson. I love it when I have some of my students say to me, wow, we're done? Really? Like, this is it? That went by fast. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That happens. A lot. Time flies when you're having fun. All right. So Cindy, we have invited you on specifically, not only to share some of your own experiences working with children with dyslexia, but we know that we've had people in the past 
ask about issues with organization and homework and, and planning and so forth. So we're going to get into some of those questions in a bit with you. But one of the things we we're wondering, what do you see as some of the biggest challenges students with dyslexia face? Not maybe just in the classroom, but maybe outside too. Probably the universal challenge that people with dyslexia face is that they know they are trying very, very hard to succeed and they are working and working and working and yet success is not happening for them. But they can observe in their classroom that success is happening for other students and they are just left wondering, what is the matter with me? That overarches any other thing as the core struggle that dyslexic children have and then it branches out from there. Absolutely. You know, I was just talking with a parent about that yesterday. Um, one of my students, second grader, and just he's seeing more and more how the other kids are all reading now. And why is that not happening for me? Yes. And it's becoming really frustrating for him. So. I think dyslexia is invisible also in that like with some other learning differences, you can tell from looking at a child, but dyslexia is invisible. And also when the teacher talks with that child, they're frequently so articulate and such wonderful storytellers that then when the teacher sees that same child on paper, she wonders what happened to the child I talked to. Yeah, Emily and I talked about that in our last episode about those contradictory symptoms that that kind of come up in terms of, you know, where we have a child who is articulate, who is really bright, you know, clearly understands the material, but yet when asked to transfer that knowledge either onto paper or or into some kind of an academic setting, there's this big disconnect. And mm -hmm. so you can listen more in episode two for that. But yes, I mean, you brought that right back in for us, Cindy. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I think the other thing with children with dyslexia, as they continue, it definitely diverges the children who mm -hmm. get help and yeah. then the children who do not get help. And I believe the children who do not get help as they get older, they spend so much time hiding their difficulties, unfortunately, from the very people who could help them. They're just ashamed and they can't figure it out. And they're so busy hiding their difficulties that sometimes they don't have the space in their own head to learn what's being taught in the classroom. And they continue to get further and further behind academically just because they're not in a place to learn. Yeah, right. I agree. And I see, and for me with my older students, I see that heightened anxiety, heightened the social emotional impacts seem to be very heightened for students who have not yet had a deep understanding of dyslexia and what that means for them and, and understanding themselves as learners. And, you know, and there's research about, you know, the suicide numbers and, and the incarceration numbers linked to dyslexia. It is so important for us to have conversations about dyslexia, to bring this knowledge, not just to our specialists, but to our general education classrooms and to our families so that we can catch kids early or provide those strategies and those resources that are needed to help all of our kids be successful. So kind of bridging then into families, you know, because we do have a lot of families that listen. We have a lot of therapists and tutors that I talked to. They kind of started this journey because they themselves had children who are dyslexic and that kind of set them on this path. So, you know, when we're thinking about families, 
what are, what do you think of Cindy when you are kind of thinking about some of the biggest challenges that parents and caregivers face when they have you know a child in their home or in their family that that has dyslexia? They're so often bewildered by what is going on yeah. because there it's that same situation that the teacher has when she listens to a child who's so bright and articulate. Mom and dad have been living with this bright, articulate child for his whole life. And they're just so puzzled by what is going on. And I think that they struggle to find the process to get help. Mm -hmm. And many times they're not even sure where to start. And Unfortunately, because so many classroom teachers are also are not well-versed in dyslexia or they don't realize how important early intervention is, they may just you know, give the advice for the parent to wait and see if the child will grow out of it. And so the parent may not be looking for testing. They may not be looking for intervention early, just not realizing each year that goes by really matters a lot. Yeah. And so I think that that's a struggle. And then I think once the child, the parent figures out and they get the testing and they find out that their child has dyslexia, then the next thing is, where do I go for help? Yeah. How do I find a tutor? What is Orton Gillingham? And, you know, how do I find an Orton Gillingham tutor where I live? Right. And then how do I pay for an Orton Gillingham tutor? That's where... I often tell parents my story of I started Orton Gillingham tutoring because I was trying to pay for something for my own children. And so you never know what doors are going to open when you are trying to pursue things for your own children. Yeah. So I try to encourage parents with that. Yeah. I think parents also don't necessarily understand what their children need from them as a parent. They almost need a dossier on their own child based on the testing. It's so interesting, you know, the same family I was just mentioning, they're new to dyslexia. It's just so much to navigate at the very beginning, right? It's just so, so much information, the testing, everything, trying to find the best intervention for your child, making the connection between what's happening at school, you know, following the IEP and all of that. And, but the thing that I find parents really need help with is realizing that don't have to be secretive about this with your child. Be open, have an open discussion. And so I was discussing with this family. I said, you know, I have some great picture books. You're welcome to borrow them. Let's not keep this a secret. This child deserves and needs to know it will empower them. Mm -hmm. And let's just keep that conversation and that communication open because this child needs to learn about how they learn, but also how to advocate for themselves. Those are such great points, Emily. And I think it's very important that everybody is open mm -hmm. and doesn't hide this because the child perhaps has been hiding it all along. And it could be a great relief to everyone to know there's a name for this. There's, a, there's an approach to remediating this. Honestly, if you're going to have a learning difference, I think dyslexia is the one that you should pick because- yeah. We, we know what to do with this. We do. And, and I think also, you know, when we understand that anything that's hidden by shame, right. Or mm. that is, that just feeds into 
that negative self-talk of, you know, thinking I don't, I can't do it and it's too hard. And I'm going to just either act out in behavioral components, or I'm going to just shut down and not live to my potential. When we understand something, then we're able to acknowledge it. And we're able to acknowledge both the good and the bad. And we're able to then feel empowered and come up with a plan. And I think that that is one of the things that I I've found to be the most helpful when working with families is bringing this awareness, helping people understand. And and really in today's day and age, we're having all these conversations about dyslexia. And I'm so grateful to be in this time where we have adults who are sharing their journey and we have children who are writing books about their journey. And we're, we're starting to have these conversations. And I think that that is really starting to shift the narrative for our students and our conversations and, and really just kind of starting to address the need of the student as, as a whole. So I'm excited about, about that shift. Absolutely. Yeah. There's just no reason to mystify the whole subject of dyslexia, right? right? Yes. And when we had Sabrina axed as one of our Mm -hmm. guest cases Mm -hmm. back in season one, I think, yeah, she, she really wears her heart on her sleeve and she knows how, what these parents are going through with, from an advocate and legal standpoint. And there's, there's, there's just so much to, to navigate. All right, Cindy. So let's get into a little bit more about homework. So we've talked a little bit about the challenges that our, our students face, both academically, but also from the social emotional side, and we have both educators and families listening. Why do children with dyslexia struggle with homework? Tell us why. At its core, when it comes to school and learning, dyslexia is a memory issue. And so I think it's important to remember that the children are having trouble remembering things. And we know that if you have emotional pressure, that makes it even harder to remember things. So that's that's something to tuck in the back of your mind. But our dyslexic children are having time, having trouble understanding the directions that are given to them. Many times they don't necessarily record their homework assignments in the correct way. So they may not end up with the correct materials at home. There's also an executive function piece that's coming in here that when it's time to pack up and go home, They've been having a rough day. They just want to go home. And if they would have a checklist of what to pack, or if they had a classroom teacher who directed them, okay, we're finished with history. You have your assignment written down. Go put that in your backpack. And they went and put it in their backpack in their classroom right then. That might help. But getting home with the right materials is a problem. And understanding what to do with those materials once you do get home. Another problem that I think our dyslexic students have is that the lesson from, let's say math, for example, perhaps it happened in the morning. And since then, they've had music, they've had PE, they've had history class, and then they've also had spelling review. And so a lot has happened to them since that math lesson. And perhaps they honestly just don't remember the lesson well enough to know how to solve these problems that are now laying in front of them. And so it's almost like they're back at square one. We know dyslexic individuals need 30 to 40 repetitions of what a non-dyslexic person can learn in three to four repetitions. And if it's a new concept, 
they probably did not get those 30 to 4 repetitions on day one. And that is part of the purpose of homework. So I don't think homework is a bad thing. I think homework is a good thing. And that's 17 years as a classroom teacher talking there, I know. <laughs> but homework provides needed repetitions for our kids, but they may not know where to start. So there's also the exhaustion factor. Dyslexic kids are really tired at the end of the day. Their brain has been so wrung out. And sometimes stalling techniques just come into play where they're getting everything else under the sun. Oh, mom, I need to clean my room. I don't have any sharpened pencils, on and on and on because of all these other reasons. Yeah. You can bring up some really great points, Cindy. And, you know, if we're thinking about those like executive function pieces for our students, I think one of the things that kind of slips by people is understanding that dyslexia is language-based learning difference. And so when we think about how much language our kids are engaged in throughout the school day, and as a classroom teacher, you know, reflecting back, how much language was I giving to my students without pause to check in, to make sure they understood what was going on. And I think that that carries over then in our homework, when we have students and it's like multi-step problems, or you've given them a bunch of things to do, it can be so overwhelming that they really don't know where to start. So if we're thinking maybe about just like a couple best strategies that parents could put into place or teachers could put into place, what would be some of like your top strategy, like top three for, let's say primary students, and we can break it into like primary and then, you know, middle and upper, upper school, or if you think that there's some overarching best practices, but, but what, what, what are the things that you kind of recommend, Cindy? Let's start with recommendations for parents and then think about recommendations for teachers after a checklist, a checklist Mm -hmm. is a really great thing. So checklists are sort of arbitrary. It's almost like saying, oh, this is my policy. And when you say this is my policy, then no one really argues because, oh, it's her policy. Yeah. And if you have a checklist and the child really, there's no room to argue. It's on the checklist. (laughs) So create a checklist of the things that you need to do just to get past that arguing stage and kind of trying to wheedle their way out of doing homework now. So on the checklist, I recommend that The first thing that happens is everything comes out of the backpack and all of the assignments are stacked and organized. So if we have spelling and we have a reading assignment to do and we have history, then a stack that has the spelling materials in it, a stack that has the reading materials in it, a stack that has the history materials in it. I mean, physically on the counter. Mm -hmm. And you could put a post-it note on top of it that tells what the assignment is if you feel like it, if your child likes to write on post-it notes, and then they could crumple that post-it note when they're done if they want to. But that's what I by, do. I love that strategy. I love yeah. to yeah. accomplish when I can crumple up my sticky note. I like okay. crumpling. Yeah. I like to check off. So I will make <laughs> I like with little lines and then I can check off the list. But whatever floats your child's boat, let them pick that. But also by stacking up the materials, then you also easily find out early in the afternoon, what do we not have? And that gives you the time to call a parent and, you know, a parent of a child who's also in their class and say, you know, could you please scan in the history assignment and shoot it to me in an email? You have a way to get what you're missing. 
which kind of brings up another point for parents to think about that homework happens every night. Don't be surprised by the fact that homework happens every night. Like plan it into your parenting schedule. It's just going to happen. So don't be surprised by it. And I guess what I'm saying there is don't pack your evening so full as the mom or dad that you don't have time to help with homework. Just make the space in your day when the child comes home, you're going to start this checklist. You're going to unpack things. And that helps the parent too, to acknowledge this is part of parenting this child. Maybe my other two children did not need it, but this one does. Definitely some comfort in creating routines. And I think for people who use the Orrin Gillingham approach, we know that there's routines that are set up in our lessons and routines for students who may have a hard time keeping track of their materials are really comforting for them. So that's what I'm kind of taking away from your advice, Cindy, is right. Creating those checklists, creating those routines to really set our kids up for success when, when they come home along with routines, is to have a place where completed homework goes so that it can make it back to school. One of my most heartbreaking phone calls that I would get on a regular basis as Dyslexia Center Director is when a parent had labored with their child to get homework completed. They had fought the battle, they had won, the homework was done, and when to know it, that homework was on the kitchen counter and it wasn't at school. And so creating a system, it can be a system of colored folders, and maybe one side of the folder says homework to be done, the other side says ready to turn in, and then the child gets in the habit of physically slipping it in the right place and physically putting it in the backpack before they go to bed, and that the backpack makes sure it gets into the car or onto the bus. So there's a lot of other sub things to add to that checklist that must happen for this to be successful. Mm-hmm. Cindy, I want to point something out that you just said that I think is really critical in this whole scenario. And you had just mentioned how the child puts the homework in the folder. The child puts the folder in the backpack. We must train our children to be putting these things away themselves. Even when you as a parent might feel like, oh, it's just easier, right? I'll just do it for them. I'll just, no, work that into the routine where they are in charge of, you know, making sure they have a, a sharpened pencil because you have a pencil sharpener nearby with a little station of supplies or you know where to put your homework when it's complete. Sure, they're going to need some reminders, but all of that front loading and all of that training at the beginning of the year, it happens in the classroom with teaching routines, but it also needs be happening at home as well. And I think going back and remembering that dyslexic children have trouble with memory, it takes a while to train those routines. But if you don't want to be chasing down their homework in April, it's worth time to invest in training those routines in September. Yeah. I always think of this, you know, being a parent and an educator, I think of this Mm -hmm. as that gradual release of responsibility. So we, as the education world, we think of that as the academic release of responsibility, where we are really supporting the child and and doing most of the work and we're releasing it to the, the child as they become more independent. I think of, I've sort of transferred that same idea to my parenting, right? And it's the same thing. At the beginning, we're providing more support and then we're releasing that as the student can. And I think that 
that mindset can be really beneficial for parents too, as they're setting up these routines, right? It's not like I told you once to do it. And why don't you understand? We may need to provide more of those scaffolds or more of those supports, and then gradually release that to the child where they then can become independent in putting their things there or, or making sure that they have put their backpack in the car for the next day or however your routine is. So we can really Absolutely. connect our teaching both in the home and, and at school. So, yeah. And that gradual release of responsibility, it comes in to so many areas of a dyslexic child's life. Yeah, it really does. It really, really does. Absolutely. Children really thrive on routine and structure, mm-hmm. you know, just working with an, a student yesterday morning, they knew what the next step was. They were able to go into their little pencil box and take out that highlighter. They knew what I was going to say to do next. Like, <laughs> yes, they're getting it. <laughs> it feels it. good. Yeah. And they know too. Like, yes, things flow much more smoothly for everybody with right. structured routine. Right. Yes. Um, they really do. So Cindy, so, what would be some strategies that you that you recommend teachers put into place to support dyslexic learners in their classrooms? There are so many things that teachers can do to help the dyslexic children in their classroom. And I think one of the main things, maybe I'd say one of the first things, is know that their role is very important. Mm-hmm. That they may feel like, oh, this dyslexic child is always being taken out of my room. And there's the reading specialist that works with them and the tutor works with them. And really, I don't have them that much. Your role as a classroom teacher is really, really important, but your role is not to be the interventionist. So I think that we have to take that off the classroom teacher's shoulders because she can't be a classroom teacher and a reading interventionist at the same time. And I think sometimes classroom teachers feel that that's what they're being expected to do when we say, oh, you need to understand dyslexia because dyslexia creeps into every crack and crevice of the child's learning. It's not just reading and spelling, it's every single subject. So that comes right into the second thing I would tell teachers is understand dyslexia, Mm -hmm. not just the urban legends that you may have heard about it, but really dig in, understand what it is, understand that memory issue that is so huge for dyslexic students. I think the other thing that I would recommend to teachers is to work with the parents as a team. And I would also make that recommendation to parents, team with the educators. No one is adversarial here. We all want the same things. We all want that child to thrive. We want the very best for that child. And when everyone remembers that that is the main goal, Mm-hmm. And everyone respects the other team members that the parent is the expert in that child. And the Orton-Gillingham practitioner is the expert in tutoring. The classroom teacher is the expert in what she wants done in the classroom. Everybody brings their area of expertise and they all matter. So we need to cooperate and never get adversarial with one another. Yeah, I think that that, that approach is so crucial for for us as, as practitioners or therapists, that building that connection, that's something that I always encourage my families to do. And because we're really, we're working together. I mean, there's no, 
there's no sense in, in, in doing our things on these little islands because our kids are not going to make connections. So we have to build these bridges between what we're doing so that we are making everything accessible for our kids. That is so true. I have a few things about in the classroom. Yeah. In the classroom, if the teacher can be as organized as possible, like we were talking about the organization of an Orton Gillingham lesson, if as a teacher, you can be as organized as possible and also as consistent as possible. Just simple things like however you want the date written on papers that come into like elementary, write the date that way on the top of your whiteboard. Mm -hmm. However you want the, the pages headed, like if you want history at the top and the child's name on the left and the date on the right, do a sample of that and display it in your classroom so that they have something to look at always have homework handed in in the same way. And if you can find it in your heart to do it, come behind those that tend to forget to hand in homework papers and just remind them and walk them over to where the homework should go. And in a honey sweet tone of voice to say, I would love it if you would do this yourself every day. This is what I need you to do. Mm -hmm. And just remind them this is the routine in our room for getting homework turned in. Direct and explicit instruction for our students and just that I do, we do, you do model of teaching. In the late afternoon, the classroom teacher can find it in her heart to pull those struggling students to her work table and just say, let's think through the homework for tonight. Bring me your backpacks. Do you have this? And look at it and just in a two minute, what are you going to do with this at home tonight? Do you have this math paper? What are you going to do with this at home tonight? And get the child to verbalize to the teacher, oh, this is what I'm going to do. So if the teacher will ask the child and then listen to what the child says, so many confusions will come to light. And the teacher then knows, oh, this child did not remember what that math lesson was this morning. Let me do a little problem here and I'm going to film it on my camera and I'm going to text it to mom. So she's got to go by and she can do homework with this child tonight and they will successfully practice these math problems at home tonight. And it doesn't have to take long. It can take 10 minutes of just that homework review with the few children that are going to struggle. And then the last thing that will so help parents is if on the homework paper, the teacher will jot down how long she thinks it will take to complete. Because parents don't know if this history paper should take 15 minutes to complete or if it should take two hours. And sometimes when the teacher hears from parents, all we do all night is homework. We spend hours and hours doing homework. And the teacher is thinking, how can that be? I'm sending home maybe 45 minutes worth of homework. And sometimes there's a disconnect between what the teacher estimates the time to be and how long the parents are letting it spin out just because they don't know. This is a 15-minute assignment. This is not a two-hour assignment. Yeah, that, that's really great advice. And that's something I actually tell my parents to do as well. I tell them to write down how much, it, how long it took for something to happen for a lot of different reasons. If we are having, you know, an IEP or a 504 meeting and we need to talk about the amount of homework or we need to talk about extended time, that's going to provide that research and that data. It's going to communicate to the teacher. I just tell my parents to write down how long it took somewhere on their assignment so that that it's being communicated back to the teacher. 
Yes, that is, that's great to do it on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, that comes into that team aspect. Absolutely. And I know many classroom teachers do this, but to communicate to families, like if this assignment is taking you past this number of minutes and then, you know, certainly put a little sticky note on there mm-hmm. and, or put the stop mark on the paper where your stopping point was, because there really is no need to go hours and hours on one paper to the point of a meltdown on one homework sheet. There has to be a point now from a child perspective of they come home with something that feels really difficult and they're not sure how to complete it and it's gone past the time. They don't like when I tell them, well, you know what, we're just going to stop at this point because they're like, no, we'll get in trouble. And, but to just reassure them, like, no, your teacher wants to know and They will understand that, yes, you gave it your best. We went over this together, but this is where we stopped. And that's going to be okay for teachers to communicate that to families. It's just so, so important. And obviously always looking at that quantity too. I know quantity is such such a big, big factor, especially for our dyslexic learners. So Sydney, we have any final words of advice for families or teachers, things that we want to keep in mind as we come closer to to the end of this interview, what do you want families or teachers to recognize or to just be mindful of or any advice you have? The thing I want for parents to know is that it's going to be okay. This is going to be all right. So many times I will talk to a former student of mine as as a young adult or even an adult. And, you know, I kind of want to reminisce over all the things that we did to help them when they were little. And, you know, it falls flat because honestly, they don't remember the struggles. As children, they do not. Now their mamas, they remember. But the children themselves generally do not remember the struggles. And what that tells me is this is going to be fine if they're given the help that they need. It's not going to be fine if it's just families pretend this isn't a problem and they don't address it. The thing for teachers, and this comes from students that they say, oh, Ms. Hall, when you are talking to teachers, tell them, when we are working, please be quiet. Isn't that a funny bit of advice? But I have had multiple students when I say, oh, I'm going to talk to teachers. What do you think I should say to them? Just because I'm interested. And that's what they say. When we are talking, when we are working, tell them not to talk to us. And boy, I can think of a lot of times as a classroom teacher when I just, one more pearl of wisdom came into my head and I just had to say it, even though they were all working. When in fact, I should have just tamed the circus in my brain and kept my mouth shut and let them work. I mean, it makes so much sense when we go back to language-based learning difference, right? And our kids trying to process language. And when you are talking while they're working, we're interrupting their stream of thought and they can't redirect. And yeah, I mean, it does make a lot of sense. And my kids say the same thing, Cindy, when I talk, when I talk to them. So yeah, that is true. Okay. Now I, I'm one of these people. I cannot work when there is like music on in the background or anything like that. I have to really have things so quiet. So, yeah. and that is me as an adult, but actually I, thinking back, I think I've always been that way. Any of that extra stimuli out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, even thinking about the way we decorate our classrooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that can really be another factor. Things, things on the wall can feel noisy, not just the actual sound. Yeah, yes. the environment definitely can impact that. Yeah. Yes. I think teachers tend to underestimate their role in the life of the children for the year too. 
they're a huge, huge factor. And a teacher who takes time to understand the dyslexic child can make all the difference in how his year goes. Absolutely. So important. Such great advice, Cindy. Well, Cindy, what are some of your favorite books and resources to learn more? Oh, you, okay. I know you guys can't see, but honestly, Cindy has like oh a stack goodness. of books that she just brought into the camera. So, okay. Oh, Cindy, Cindy's got one. I love Parenting a Struggling Reader, and this is great for parents to read, and it's by Susan Hall and Louisa Motes, and it's just from a mama perspective, what is it like to have a child who struggles with reading? And it is amazing and wonderful, and it's fairly short, and it's easy to read because it's mama stories. Everyone should read Overcoming Dyslexia, perhaps not cover to cover. Sorry, Dr. Shewitz, but you can look <laughs> in the index and you can look in the book and you can read the chapter that you need. And eventually you will probably read the whole thing. But I mine is tabbed and mine is just a mess because I have referred to it so often. For teachers, I think there's nothing better than mm-hmm. speech to print because it helps us understand analyzing student errors and getting a peek into what's happening in their brain through the mistakes that they make, that That's their mistakes. Great. Yes, this is wonderful. For the how to learn process, mm-hmm. I love Make It Stick by Dr. Peter Brown. It okay. has so much in it about how learning happens. And the last one is Helping Students Remember by Milton Dean. It's exercises for helping the memory. And it has exercises, a version for elementary students, and then it has the same ex- exercise with a version for high school students. I wish I'd had this in college. It would have helped me. Cindy, I don't know that one. Wow. Yeah, we you will know, make sure we link all of those in the show notes. Okay. So you guys can have those as, those titles as well. I know our listeners are really going to benefit from checking those books out. Thank you so much for sharing all of them. Just valuable resources. You'll definitely mm-hmm. want to, to read them. So Cindy is going to wrap up for us by sharing some of the wonderful things that she has going on with her website and and events, courses. Cindy, tell us a little bit about, first of all, how can listeners find you and reach out to you if they had any questions or want to learn more? And tell us a little bit about what you have going on. Okay. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Listeners can reach out to me by email at cindyhallconsulting at gmail.com. So you're welcome to email me. My website is Cindy Hall Consulting. So you can just Google that, get there. I have an online course called Dyslexia Friendly Classroom that you can find from my website. And I have a discount code that if you sign up this fall, like through the end of December, if you sign up, you can use TIL20 to get 20% off the cost of the online course. And the online course is six weeks long. It's self-paced. So you would take you would do one lesson per week. It's primarily reading. And so you can read it. I've had teachers tell me that they love it because it has small steps. And so if life happens, they can stop the lesson, go take care of whatever it was. Even if it's the next day that they come back, they can still pick right up again. And then we do a Zoom call with each cohort on Fridays to talk about the, the lesson. So I Zoom with everyone in the cohort on Fridays. And we talk about the lesson and answer questions. That part is so helpful just to have that communication with the course creator mm-hmm. to be able to have discussions and ask questions. I think that's so valuable. Yeah. I like to talk, Emily. 
<laughs> and I, like, I like to talk about dyslexia and mm -hmm. also I just want to make sure that what I said in the lesson that week was clear and that it made sense mm -hmm. there are dyslexia friendly summits that happen which are live trainings and there's one of them already scheduled for June 27th through 30th in Iowa and that information just happened this week but I'll get it on the website so that our midwestern friends maybe can come and check that out and do a live four-day summit. Wonderful. I, ha I have a newsletter that comes out usually on the first Monday of the month, and I write the articles, so it's not a, not linking you to articles from someone else. I write the articles, and you can get to that from my website also. There's an opt-in button there, and you can just opt-in to get that newsletter. Always has a fun freebie. The October one is a brain hat that you can print and cut out, and that can be used to help your child learn about the brain differences in the dyslexic brain versus a non-dyslexic brain. We awesome. love the brain. Well, Cindy, uh, just so, so valuable between your course and Summit and your newsletter. I just know people are really going to benefit from just reaching out and learning more from you. And of course, we welcome you back to Building Readers for Life anytime. <laughs> I love having you as a part of that team. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are going to close by just letting people know that if you want to contact us for, from the podcast, Casey and I, you can do that. You can go to the website, www.togetherinliteracy.com. Mm -hmm. And we have an email address there that you can contact us. We always have the show notes for every episode right. with the links. So you'll want to check those out, but you'll also want to check out the accompanying blog posts. So there's always a blog post that follows up with each episode and we provide even more information and sort of unpack what the episode was about uh, in the written form mm -hmm. rather than listening. And we would love it once again, if you uh, would share this, if this has been helpful to you and we really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you so much once again, Cindy and uh, Casey and I will see you here next time, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.